So today we're starting a brand new series. Uh, it's called Basic, and it's a series on doctrine. And I want to just talk for a minute about this idea of, of doctrine and why we would spend some time talking about doctrine. For some of you who've been around church for a long time, you go, well, of course, everything you talk about in the church is doctrine. That makes sense that you would talk about doctrine. Um, one of the things that I've experienced as a pastor is in the world and, and in our lives, I just see some really bad doctrine being spread from one person to the other. And, and, and in the world, I kind of go, okay, that's bad teaching, that that's the world's teaching, not our teaching. But then sometimes among the body of believers, I hear some teaching, and I'm just like, wow, that doesn't seem right at all. It seems unbiblical. And I'm, I'm here to say, first of all, I'm not the final authority on what's right in the Word of God. God is the final authority on what's right in His Word, and He is more than capable to communicate that effectively to the people that He wants to respond in certain ways. But I do think that it's good if we take a look at some basic doctrine, some real simple stuff. As a matter of fact, as I was rolling around this around my, my head, I was, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, which for some of the young people is really old, right? But for some of us, it's about right. And for some of you, it's really young <laughs> to be a child of the 70s and 80s. And we had a, uh, I got a computer. I'm a bit of a nerd. And I was, uh, I, the very first computer I had, you would turn it on and then you would type in your program, okay? So you didn't have an app for that. You had to make the app for that every time you booted up the computer. And, uh, and, and you would put in lines of code, and it was called BASIC. And I think they called it that because it was really BASIC. <laughs> you would have these lines, you would type in very simple commands, and then the computer would do something, and you'd be amazed with yourself because your creative ability and power um, in a competition, I remember in seventh grade, a competition began immediately on who could make the most ornate print screen things, which is so goofy now, but we were really, really into it. So I was thinking about this idea of basic doctrine, what the, the fundamental things that I feel like we ought to talk about and have some understanding of, that we might, and here's the goal of this, not that we are right, but that we might rightly glorify God for who God says he is. That's the goal. Not that we can prove someone wrong, but that we might rightly glorify God. Because here's the truth, if you share bad doctrine, or if you believe bad doctrine, you ultimately don't glorify God for who God says he is. And our goal as Christians should be to glorify God for who he says he is because he's more than glorious enough. I mean, he's more glorious than we can imagine. And we're going to talk about that today. I looked it up because I wanted to know uh, the definition of doctrine. It's kind of a church word, I would say, but you do hear it in the media, in the news sometimes, you know, a military doctrine or a foreign policy doctrine, or you hear the word used. And Merriam-Webster describes it this way. They say it's a teaching or instruction, which interestingly they say is antiquated now. That's the old definition. Their new definition is like this, a principle or position in a branch of knowledge or system of belief. What you do. I know it's the dictionary. You go, okay, great. But listen, it's a principle or a position. So that's a slash there. One of those two things, a principle or position that's in a branch of knowledge slash or a system of belief, which I think is really interesting given the fact that many of our, our co-humans, the other humans in this world say uh, they aren't believers, but they do have a, quote, system of knowledge, right? So Miriam kind of rolls this stuff in and call it doctrine. It's, it's a system of functioning in this life. I want to ask that you would first do, that you would turn, we're going to start in, they're called the pastoral epistles, but really they're for all God's people. It's 1 Timothy 4.16. If you brought a Bible with you, you'll know where that's at. Uh, probably if you didn't, grab one at the end of the chair rows, and you can turn to page, what is it, 830, and it'll be right there for you. 
1 Timothy 4.16. We're going to stop a, f- a few places here in the pastoral epistles um, to talk about why doctrine matters. And then we're going to kind of change gears into to what we want to talk about today. Okay, so 1 Timothy 4.16. This is what the word says. Um, this is the, by the way, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, he calls him his son in the faith. He's a young uh, leader. Um, he's a young prodigy, I would say, of Paul as a church planter. And he, we're going to find out later, maybe we won't cover it, but um, he's, he's left to, to um, appoint elders in communities, and elders are just leaders in the church. So he's, he's not necessarily staying, but he's going through and he's teaching, he's training, he's encouraging, and he's equipping people to serve God faithfully. And, and uh, I'm going to read 15 and 16. This is what the word says. Be diligent, this is Paul, be diligent in these matters. Uh, give yourself completely to them so that everyone may see your progress. That's his own spiritual development, his own faith, right? Be faithful in these things. And then 16, and this is a funny thing, I think, that Paul would say to him toward the end of this letter. He says this, watch your life and doctrine closely. That's his instruction to young Timothy. Watch your life and your doctrine closely Reading on, persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul's laying out and he's going, this is a big, big deal. If you were here last week, you remember that we talked, I asked you to imagine your own death for a moment. Like not hyperbolically, but really, realistically, your own death. And, and how kind of scary that can be for some of us, how we would fight against that, we would defend our lives with everything we had. And, and it's funny because here Paul says, I want you to watch two things, your life and your belief or your teaching. I guess a proper translation would be teaching to this young leader. But it, you don't teach things you don't believe. Do you think that's true? It seems to me that the things we ultimately believe, that we come to believe through, through faith, but also through experience, through decisions, through living out, we automatically begin to teach other people those things. We can't help but teach those things. And so Paul's encouragement to Timothy is to watch these two things closely. Watch how you live your life and then watch the things that you teach. He says next, persevere in these things. Endure in these things, right? I think, man, we live in this kind of microwave, instant success, move on to the next fad culture. There's enduring beliefs that God has laid out for his people. I mean, enduring even beyond the Christian church, enduring, right? With Israel, we're talking about that today. With the establishment, indeed even with creation. Enduring beliefs in a, in a changing time. And I, right now we get... So I'm, I'm as bad as anybody. We go, man, you, you hear some teaching, you're like, when's that? That's from the 90s, man. That's, that's the 90s. This is 2010s. Like, what does that mean? Enduring beliefs. He says, persevere in these beliefs. It means commit to them or stick with them or, or endure in them. Don't give them up. Guard them. And he says this crazy thing. There's stuff in the Bible that just seems like, what? He says, if you do this, you will save yourself and your hearers. What does that mean, right? Save yourself and your hearers. Save them from what? That's a good question. Check it out. Flip. Now we're just going to roll through here. We're going to go to 2 Timothy. If you don't know this, Paul wrote two letters. So just flip a couple pages over, and we're going to stop at 2 Timothy uh, 4, 1 through 5. This is Paul writing again to Timothy to, to kind of teach some more. And I'm going to read and talk through this. 
in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. So Paul's kind of saying, I'm standing before someone that's more, has more authority and power than I do, and it's this one called Jesus, the Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Don't miss it. And in view of his, that's Jesus Christ appearing, and his, that's Jesus Christ's kingdom, I now give you this charge. So he's laying this on to Timothy. This is what you've got to do, right? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will no longer put up with sound, here's the word, doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myth. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties, all the responsibilities of your ministry. I, I, I guarantee you've been in church for a while, you've heard that verse, right? This is the verse we've heard before. But Paul lays it out, and he's like, in, I want you to see the magnitude of what Paul's saying to Timothy. In the presence of Jesus, who's gonna judge everyone and everything in, in the presence of his kingdom and his authority i want to give you this charge to continue to teach the truth and look i want you and some of you will check out at verse two you'll it, preach the word well i'm not a preacher so you go off the hook <laughs> right i want to say something by the way when we dedicated miss ada this morning always reminds me um when we have baby dedications there's this tendency to run to certain verses for dedication. Oh, oh, it's a boy, let's dedicate with this verse. Oh, 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 it's a girl. Or if you go to women's conference and, oh, oh, it's a women's conference, we're gonna cover proverb, or, uh, um, Proverbs, right? Yeah, um, and there's always these go-to default verses. Oh, oh, Second Timothy, that's a pastoral epistle. Listen to me. All God's word is for all God's people. All God's word is for all God's people. Every bit of this love letter to his people is written for women and men. It's written for us to understand, to believe, and to live it out. Now, there are distinctive things in there for women and men. I get that. But the book, it's not like, put it on, that's not for me. That's if, if I get called to be a pastor. Listen, the word here for preach is proclaim. And we're going to talk about the word in a minute. Proclaim the word it says to be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Three ways we can use uh, God's scripture, but the truth of Jesus Christ to help other people through correction, rebuking, and encouragement. And then he goes on with these wise words, great patience and careful instructions. Guard your life and your doctrine closely. Watch the things you teach. But here's the, here's the rub, verse 3. There's coming a time when people won't put up with sound doctrine any longer. Like, we shouldn't be surprised when people don't want to hear it anymore. This is 2,000 years ago, and people were already sick of hearing about the gospel. Sick of hearing that you can't earn salvation. Sick of hearing that, that you must believe in Jesus to be saved. Sick of hearing these fundamental truths. And 2,000 years later, it's no less true now. People don't want to hear it. Instead, and I think this has gotten exponentially worse with the internet. I know it's a tendency to every generation say, oh, it's worse now because of TV. Oh, it's worse now because of radio. It's worse now because of rock and roll. I mean, we always have our enemies in the church that we love to kind of hold up and go, that's terrible. But you know what the internet has caused? 
in my opinion, it's caused really broken thinking to get a whole lot of traction in a large population of people, right? You, 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 you normally maybe have a thought and you'd be in your town. You, this, and if right now, if I say this and the culture would celebrate it, you would maybe be one or maybe two people with, but if you go on the internet, you can find 100, 1,000, 100,000 people that would agree with you and you feel like, wow, we got a movement. Have you noticed that? There's a movement of people that think exactly like I do. And that becomes more important than anything God would say in our lives. I'm getting off topic here, but that's what happens. We escalate other things above the authority of God and his word, and then we listen to them instead of listening to him. And our lives are broken because of it. Instead, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They don't want to hear the gospel anymore. They want to hear their gospel, their truth, their light. They will turn their ears away and turn aside to myth. You might think, well, that's, that's you know, that's actually, ironically, the, the accusation we get sometimes about Jesus. That's the accusation, right? It's, it's myth. It's not true. But that's the truth. It's not myth. Check it out. One more verse, uh, and we're going to move on. Titus. Turn. You should be right there, probably. Titus 1.9. This is what the word says. This, by the way, is Paul writing to Titus, another leader in the church, and he's writing to Titus about leaders. He's like, you want to know how to find good leaders, quality leaders? This is how you find quality leaders, and he lists them out. So this, the he here on verse 9, he must hold firmly, is the leader. Not Titus, by the way, but Titus would be included in that group, but anyone that Titus would appoint. Leaders must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. See, you've learned it so that the leader can encourage others through sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. It's a responsibility of a leader to be listening for bad doctrine and correct it, which is not an easy job. But Paul says to Titus, these are the people who are qualified to lead if they're willing to teach the sound doctrine they've learned and they're willing to refute bad doctrine I've told you all this before, right? But we learn in community together. God's our teacher, but we learn together. One of the biggest problems I have is there's people who call themselves Christians that don't agree with me, but won't even have a conversation with me about what they don't agree with me about. I, I, I can tell you this. I don't want to debate, but I certainly want to know, right? And I should have that same compulsion on my side. Here's the crazy thing. You and I, if you know Jesus is Savior, we walk around out those doors you're going to leave today. You're walking around a broken, hurting, and I'm going to say sinful, but not in a judgmental sinful, like sin-soaked world where people go, I just don't know what to do anymore. Nothing is working. And you and I know the truth that God has laid out, and we know the truth teller, Jesus Christ, and we walk by him and go, what a shame. Yeah, what a shame that we would walk by. And I'm not talking to you I'm talking with you because that's me because it's like I want any of you or anyone out there if they believe something different to come and say hey you're wrong I want that conversation I should bring that conversation to other people and love and be like I love you so much I don't want you I don't want your life to be a mess and I don't want you to spend eternity separated from God why would we want that for people but so many times our fear well, that's for the pastors. That's for the missionaries. 
That's, that's for the apostles or the, the uh, prophets or the leaders or the prayer. That's for those other. That's not for me. And all the while, listen to me. Jesus died for your sins. You didn't deserve it. Jesus poured his Holy Spirit out upon you upon belief. That's how you believe, through the power of the Spirit of God. You don't deserve it. And the Spirit of God is inside, just like trapped in there. And he's like banging. We're going to get out. We're going to get out. And it's our flesh. It's our disobedience that keeps us from doing God's work. So that's kind of, that's the gist of the series. We're talking about some basic doctrinal things. So in a second, I guess, part here, I want to spend some time talking about God. Because all good doctrine, all good teaching begins with talking about God and, and, and who God is. And so I'm going to ask you to turn uh, to the very beginning of the book. Um, you'll know where this is at. <laughs> it's Genesis 1. We've done this a few times. I feel like a broken record a little bit, but I want to go back and just look real quick, real quick, and then we're going to move forward to the narrative a little bit. But the very first thing we have recorded in Scripture about this God who saves us, this God who, who loves us and sent Jesus to die for us, is found in the very first page of the book. I just recently heard about an, a non-believer said he tried to read the Bible and he said he, he started in Genesis and got to, I think he said Numbers or Leviticus and quit. And uh, he's like, I can't read that book. Um, but he got past these very words. And if you would just slow down, maybe read these words, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the water. Man, there's so many elements here already. And verse three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We're not going to go any further than that. I know you all know the creation there. You're like, yeah, yeah, first day, I get it. I remember this. Listen, in the beginning was God. The, the first thing we ought to know from Scripture, if you've not, you've, people say, I can't read the Bible, it's too much to read. If you've read those words, you should know something about the truth of who God is, right? So when we want to dismissively write him off and go, I don't believe in God, the I get it, but the Bible says in the beginning was God. Before anything was God. Like he exists outside of the construct, let alone outside the Twitterverse, like outside of the construct of our knowledge and understanding, God is. This is a testimony of a God that is not a very small God in our pocket, but a huge God we can't control. In the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning, uh, creating as we know, but in the beginning God created. Then what did he create? The heavens and the earth. I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to jump through all this, but um, I want to talk about, first of all, that next word, he, God created. Here's a fundamental doctrine for you. A fundamental, the people will disagree with. Everything you see, smell, taste, touch, like, dislike, enjoy, hate, God made it. You are sitting in chairs. You are in a building. You are on a planet. You are in a universe. You are, you are under the sun and under the stars and under the moon. God made it. The trees, whatever it is for you, you know, the technology, whatever it is for you, God created those elements that made all of these things possible. Indeed, even people who would deny God and try to find some other theory for how creation began, there's a moment of creation that's indescribable, and they wrestle with that because they know something causes things to happen. Nothing spontaneous. We're going to talk more about this in a minute, but maybe people are into multiverse theories. I mean, I don't know if you've ever studied these things, but because I, I love atheists. 
I love them, but they're completely deluded. And, and what's amazing to me is how, and I was an atheist, so I'm not saying that, but how far they will go to deny God. So there's multiple parallel universes. That's the only, there's, there's always, the, I remember whenever I was in school in those same years, we were being taught about a big bang and a big compaction and a big bang and a big compaction, right? That there's this eternal yo-yo cycle. And, but still, then an eight-year-old goes, who made that? And people argue about evolution and all these things, but the question becomes, who made that? <laughs> well, we were from carbon. Yeah? Who made that? The Bible in four words settles it, or five words, in the beginning God created. That's the answer the Bible gives. You might not like it or agree with it. That's what it says. And this is what we believe. God made everything. All right, check it out. And then God said, verse 3, four words, let there be light. Um, many of you know I just went on a pastoral retreat and I was reading a book. It's a, a book called Whisper. Um, I'm about halfway through it. But I was reading this book and... He said something profound that I've not heard before, I've not thought of before. He said this, you and I live in God's first four words. I was like, what? He's, he's like, you wake up today, you breathe air, you get out of bed, you go for a jog, whatever. You're living in the four, first four words of God's spoken reality. Let there be light. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? We have our being. We dwell in him. One analogy I always think about for this is we're like fish in a tank. We're just in a tank, but he made the tank, you know? We're in his pond. He's feeding us and caring for us. He's pouring uh, water onto us. Um, he's cleaning us up. We live in God's ever-growing first four words. They have not stopped yet. They have not stopped yet. As a matter of fact, the other night I was out in my backyard um, having a conversation with my lovely daughter, Olivia, who likes to stargaze. And she told me, um, this is winter, Dad, and the stars are so much better in winter. I'm like, really? Because I never look up, people. I'm too busy for that. <laughs> she, yeah, Dad, did you see? I'm like, well, yeah, okay. She's like, yeah, the constellations, there's more of them in the winter. And the skies are prettier. And I'm like, yeah. And then... This thing came back to me. I just heard recently, you know, I was being taught that things were going to explode. They're slowing down and they're going to start coming. And then they've done some research and things are going faster and faster and faster and they don't know why. <laughs> the, the way the scientists say it is this. The universe is getting bigger, not smaller. Their theory said it would get smaller. It's still going out. It's still getting bigger. They'll even use words like the end of the known universe because they have to admit there's a universe they don't even know yet. This is the truth of the God who's speaking to us. A God who would, I love this, right? There's a debate right now between science and faith. I think it's ridiculous. If you look back on the early scientists, they were faithful people who wanted to understand the things that God made. You can be a scientist and a believer. Please don't believe you can't. Why? why, why? God made it. Don't you want to look at it and be in awe of it? Wow. You hear about that crazy neutron collider thing they have and go, wow, that's inside of one atom. Are you kidding me? Look at the heavens and go, wow. You know? We, that's part of God's splendor and his glory is his creation. We ought to be able to look at that and be in awe. We get full of our own knowledge, though, don't we? We get full of what we know. And we begin to think the very person who spoke it isn't needed. He said, let there be light. See, the truth is, 
if you want a picture of um, God. Um, biblical model of God. Imagine everything you've ever known, thought, believed, experienced, hoped to, heard people talk about, heard the scientists and the atheists debate about, everything you can imagine, and then think about God's beyond that. Because the word says that in the beginning, God created for anything, theories. The first time that uh, I'm going to share, you want to turn here, and this is Genesis 17.2. First time that God introduces himself uh, to Abram, he introduces himself by the name El Shaddai. The word says, I'm going to turn here as well maybe. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. That's the God, the Almighty One. <laughs> That's quite an introduction, by the way. <laughs> Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm a promise between me and you, and you will greatly increase in numbers. If you want to think about the way God first identifies himself, he says, I'm God, the awesome one. <laughs> That's what he says. You know why I said it? Because where Abram was from, there's a whole bunch of gods. Oh, which one are you? I'm the awesome God. I'm the almighty God. Here's the way of saying it like this. I'm the God above all the gods. Abram's confused, like, I don't know who to believe. Do I believe that God or this God? And he's like, you believe me, because I'm the God over the gods, right? Don't, not God behind the gods, God over the gods, because they're not real gods at all. He's God. El Shaddai, the word El means God, right? Shaddai means almighty. Over and over again, he uses that title. But this is, look at, self-referring. When Abram was 99, by the way, praise God that your life ain't over. If you're not 99 yet, God's still using you. I hope you know that. Yahweh appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. I am the creator God. I am the almighty God. This is his introduction to his people. Check this out. Turn with me. Now, flip forward. We're going to jump forward a few millennia to the New Testament. Um, and we're going to read the opening words of uh, John. I don't know if I have it up here. Sorry, one more for you. Yeah. You've heard this before, too, if you've been in church, man. John 1. 1 through 5 and then 14. We're not, we're not gonna, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. It was, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines, and the darkness of darkness has not yet understood it. We're not going to get to verse 5 very much, but listen. In the beginning was the word. You know, we talked later, he's telling the Titus, you know, uh, preach the word, proclaim the word. Here, in the beginning was the word, the light. It was the life of men, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 3 says this, Through him everything was made, through the word that we're called to proclaim, and nothing was made apart from him. This is the truth of the testimony we have about the word of God, the Logos. In him, and listen, let there be light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You know, there's a funny thing that happens. We were all excited today about dedication. Almost everyone, I'm going to be, almost everyone loves a baby. You love a baby? 
You, you go up and you see a baby, you talk to a baby, like, hey, baby. I mean, you can have some big, burly, like, biker dudes, and they'll be like, Bleh, you know, and then they'll say, like, goochie, goochie, goo. <laughs> and then if you laugh at them, they'll, like, flex, and you stop laughing at them. But what is that, man? What is it about those little people that God lets us give birth to that we're just like, wow. That's the light, the life of men. That's a creator proclaiming his glory. Don't get hung up on the creation, people. It's him. You got a friend who's aging, but they're a delight to be around. You visit with them, that twinkle in their eye. And you're like, man, I love hanging out with you. That light is the life of men. That's the word manifests in this life. We can celebrate and go, wow, how awesome is that? This is the created, creating God. Verse 14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And now, listen, you and I, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only one, the one and only, or the begotten one. We've witnessed the glory of Jesus who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Because if you've read the Gospel of John, you know John's talking all about Jesus Christ, all about the created, the, the, uh, the Messiah, not created, but the begotten Messiah. He's celebrating who Jesus is. But he says, this one was there at the beginning. And listen, I don't want us to miss it. We have seen his glory in our lives. And recently it was, I've shared it with you all, but I've recently had this conviction, why should we tell people about Jesus? Because he rightly deserves praise in their lips. You know that punk kid you can't stand? Maybe the one that lives in your house, right? You know that neighbor who's like, you know what I mean? They usually hide behind a fence like this. I'll call the cops. That's what my, not my neighbors now, but I've had some neighbors like that in the past. I usually deserve it, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, the in-law or the, you know, those people just go, those atheists, smite them, God. Pray like David, smite them. Mm -hmm. God rightly deserves glory from them. Those hateful lips, those dark hearts. God sent Jesus to die that those words might go from evil to good, Right? They might go from brokenness to truth, from, from lies and destruction to creation and beauty, from denying God to worshiping Him and saying, you are worthy. That's the work. You know how I know? Or you know how you should know? Because that's our story, ain't it? Dark hearts turned from God, and then in a moment, revelation. A sinner saved. God deserves his glory. He deserves his worship. And he deserves it from all people. Again, he says, the word became flesh and he lived among us and we have seen his glory who came from the Father full of grace and truth, the glory of God. Now I want to change gears a little bit. I think we've got a problem in the church, uh, big C, maybe, right? I'm going to be gentle because I'm not a know-it-all, but this is just some things I see. 
I looked up God's satisfaction, just looked it up, doing a little research for this, and all I could find is how God is satisfied in us and we are satisfied in him. That's all I found when I dug into it. Because I was digging around for this question, is God satisfied in himself? Is God satisfied before anything started? Because I believe he is. See, I don't, I don't think God had to create things. I don't think God had to make any of the stuff we enjoy or any of the stuff we hate. God was fully self-satisfied. But listen, if you read Genesis, it was his pleasure to create, not his obligation. God didn't have to do anything. I say that because a lot of people act like they're doing God a big favor by believing in him. Well, God, I'll take one for the team this time. I'll put my name on the line for you. You think God's up there going, oh, I hope they, I hope they do. Oh, what if people don't believe in me anymore? Listen, have you heard what I've told you today that he exists out of, outside of everything you've ever known? God is satisfied in himself. You get a model for that in our lives. God is satisfied with himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you to do anything. He doesn't need you. I mean, he's satisfied in who he is, but his great pleasure, he created us. He just did. Some would say it's because of his nature. He's a creative God. He created us because of who he is. But he didn't have to. He was completely satisfied. We have the image. Did you hear it? In the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the waters. And in John 1, says, in the beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You have this relationship happening in God. And he's just having a great time. He's hanging out. And then he says, hey, let there be light. There's a place um, in Genesis where the word says, uh, um, let us create them in our image, right? Interesting. God is satisfied in himself. Um, he was pleased to create us. Matter of fact, he said, uh, it's very good. You know, every time I've read that passage in Genesis where it said, you know, God created and he said it's good. God created and he said it's good. God created and then God made man and he said it's very good. I'm always like, yeah. You know, and I, that's the way I read that passage, like, I'm very good, <laughs> The way I read that, and many, some of you too, I'm better than the plants, the birds, the things that I'm very, because I'm, God said I'm very good. You know what I think maybe is God's amazed with himself. <laughs> that was cool, you know. That was, why would God say it's very good? Who's he talking to? When he says it's good, who's he talking to? God said it was good. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. That was good. He is satisfied with his creation. He's satisfied with humanity's creation. But we read that about us. Yeah, God's satisfied with me. No, you were made by God. He satisfied himself. He said it's very good. He looked back and he rested. He said it's very good. See, here's the thing. God doesn't need us to be satisfied or happy or any other human experience that we want to project on him. He is completely satisfied in himself. I'm going to pull up another passage. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're heading into the end zone here. So if you're, if you're uh, you know, thinking that way. We're, we're getting there. We're almost there. Um, but in, in Matthew, um, I'm going to look at my Bible here. 3, yeah, 316. Uh, this is the baptism of Jesus. And we usually talk about this when we baptize people. We're going to probably come back to this. But I want you to see real quick in 316 when Jesus is baptized. There's more to talk about here. Check it out. In 316, as soon as Jesus, 
the Christ, was, was baptized. Um, he went up out of the water. Some of the texts say as he was praying, as Jesus was praying, came up out of the water. And uh, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, right? So there's, and then a voice from heaven said, and this is recorded in the three synoptic gospels. I'll tell you why this one's unique. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. You know, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and everything was created with God. Here in Jesus' baptism, you have Jesus coming up out of the water in obedience. You have the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, and then a, a lighting, like a dove, by the way, not a dove, but like a dove. And then you have this voice coming, and says, this is my son. In the other two Gospels, he says, you are my son, and in you I am well pleased. Let me ask you. Do you think that was just the people there could be like, oh, cool. You know, John says in, in the Gospel of John, he says, uh, I knew he was the Messiah because I, the, the, the one who told me to baptize said, when you see the Spirit coming on someone like a dove, that's going to be the one. That's how I knew it was him. That's what John, his testimony is, right? Who do you think God is talking about? I mean, what do you think God's doing there? We can say, well, he's trying to testify to who Jesus is, trying to make a point, and all the Gospels record it when people know Jesus is the Son of God, um, God incarnate, uh, different from everyone else that ever existed. You know why? Because he's always existed. This word would not have been a surprise. You were my son. With you, I'm well pleased. Satisfied in Jesus. By the way, before Jesus does anything, Jesus went out and got baptized in obedience. That's my boy. God is fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. God is fully satisfied with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully satisfied with the Father. Jesus is satisfied with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is what's happening. It's this relationship in God, and he is satisfied in himself. And here's a testimony where he's satisfied in himself. This has been that way all the time. By the way, and we're not going to hit this real hard, this is why God is satisfied in the cross. That's my boy. That's the one I've always loved. That's the one who can pay the price. I'm satisfied. His blood was rent for our sin that God might be satiated, satisfied. Here's the crazy uh, thing. I recently heard, and this is why I want to bring all this up today. You have to know who God is to have a reasonable conversation. And you have to think about those things kind of critically. Um, I recently heard the latest theory, and, and depending on your age, you may or may not have heard this, that we live in a simulated reality. How many of you heard that? Anybody heard that? How many of you have heard of a guy named Elon Musk? Elon Musk, a couple of you. How many of you have heard of Tesla cars? Yeah. SpaceX. Or the, yeah. Right? I read a report and I was like, what? That Elon Musk believes that we live in a simulated reality. That we are inside a computer. <laughs> I want to sing it in for a minute. Maybe you all hadn't heard that yet. You're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and, you know, it was based on a couple things. It was based on law of probability. What's more likely to happen? That we're created by a created being or we've advanced in the future to the point we can create a computer to come back and simulate us like we're the sims because we've already created the sims and they don't know they're not real and there's this kind of like this this, this inward looking self-satisfied creating everything in our own image and this became something that someone like elon musk goes yeah 
I'm not telling you to look it up. I'm telling you to be smart. Like this is, and I'll say it depends on how old you are because the younger people know this is happening. <gasps> There's a five-minute video on YouTube drawn in cartoons that tells me that we're all living in a computer reality. My mind is blown. My parents are wrong. This is more probable than God. You know what's happening right now, church. Wow. We're all amazed with ourselves. Based on the law of probability, and listen to this, is based on the law of our own future continued progression. You see how far we've come already. How far we come in another 10 years? 20, 30, 50, 1,000. We're going to surely be able to create something that's going to make us. You know what the Bible calls that? Idolatry. Made in our own image. Denying God. And our, the people are amazed. Ultimately, we want to design God out, believe God out, and believe things in. This is the culture we live in, the times we live in. And for us, it might seem silly and a joke. No one can reasonably believe that's true. But for young people, they go, yeah, that's more likely. Sure, I believe that. I can see my computer. See, the problem is that if we, if we make less of God than he's all, our, our all-time creator, he made everything, we can believe things like he owes us something in this life. God, I'm, I'm mad at you. We talked about Job a few weeks ago. You owe me, right? The problem is if we make God less than God, listen to me, in this created existence, we have no one to save us. Let me tell you something. We are terrible saviors of ourselves. And that's what that model leads to. You must save yourself. The truth of the gospel rings through. God is and always has been and God always will be beyond us. He will be. I'm going to finish with one more verse and put it up here on the screen for you. This is Romans 1, 20 and 21. And this is a letter written to the church in Rome. This is what it says. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what's been made so that men are without excuse. And then look at 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what I think the road is for people who would deny God's existence. A scientist would look through a microscope and go, oh, that's fascinating, but that's all there is, is the material. Look at the heavens and the stars and go, oh, we don't know what's out there, but that's all there is, the material. Those things are meant to be glorifying God. We should be in awe. And we should encourage other people to be in awe of those things as well. I don't know if where you are, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing in your spiritual life. I don't know what you believe or don't believe, but I want to say that God is making himself known. My prayer for you this week as you live this life is that God would give you eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of his manifestation around you. That maybe that thing in your life you've been so disappointed in, you're so angry with God, you're like, how could you, how could you? You would just hold it a little loosely and say, you're God and I'm not. I kind of forgot that. You don't owe me anything. For those of us in the church believe that Jesus died for our sins, he blood covers us, and we're going to plead in his, 
his name, we're going to plead, and we're going to say, I said it in Jesus' name, you have to do it, that we might step back and go, you don't have to do anything because you're God, and I'm not. And for the heart, listen, that feels far from God, it's like, I wish I could believe that. I wish I could believe that. That God's Spirit would awaken you, let the things fall off your eyes and your heart open and reveal His glory that you would go, wow, me too. Because that's why Jesus came. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for your glory. We thank you for who you are, your majesty, your splendor. We can't even see it. I'll confess, Father, I can't even imagine something beyond what we know, and yet you're beyond what we know. Father, were it not for you coming and revealing yourself through your scriptures, revealing yourself through your Holy Spirit, revealing yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, we would never know you. We'd be oblivious. We would we'd believe the lie that this is all there is. But we know you, and we thank you for that. I pray for my friends gathered here today that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray uh, your Holy Spirit be poured out in our lives in a way that if we've been resistant to obedience, that would, you would just break through our disobedience, that, that we would surrender our lives to you and we would say, what do you want? Who do you want us to tell? Who can we talk to about this? What can, how can we live differently because we know you? Father, for the strongholds that the enemy claims to have in our lives, I pray that you would just... Uh, override it you know your instruction your basic code is so much stronger that your holy spirit would just override those broken areas of our lives and that this, that the enemy would be defeated the same would be defeated in his his momentary pleasure of having us sin we would be glorifying you in our most difficult times you're awesome we love you so much i pray that um, as we go out your word would go before us and that we would see what you're doing we got to be done today, Father. There's so much more to say to you. I just love you so much. I know my friends here love you as well. Be glorified as your church follows you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.